If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. You're listening to Green Dreamer, and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. This is a primarily listener-powered show, and we are looking for more support to help us reach our Patreon goals so that we can continue this independent platform. So if you haven't yet, we'd love to have you join us on Patreon starting at just a tip of $2, like a cup of tea, at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Also, we are now an affiliate partner of Wild Abundance's online gardening school, which I'm currently enrolled in and have appreciated so much. It's a really comprehensive video course that will give you all the skills and tools you need to be able to grow a food garden for yourself from the ground up. They offer step-by-step instructions for every month of the year based on the different varieties best suited for each season, and they also hold regular live Q&A sessions to provide personalized guidance. They do offer sliding scale tuition so you can pay the level that you can, and they also have some scholarships available as well. So if you're interested in joining me in learning how to grow and tend a food garden this season, you can head to greendreamer.com gardening. This is an affiliate link and Green Dreamer makes a small commission for referred students. So if you sign up using our link to join the course, it's another way to support us at no extra cost. So again, it's greendreamer.com gardening to learn more. We cannot move if we do still pretend we are something else than nature. We can't create a new paradigm if we are still highly rooted in that sense of we are on top of the chain and we can exploit and and design whatever we want. We cannot create healthy solutions if we don't start loving complexity and embrace the not knowing as a as a truly lived experience that's sometimes not comfortable but there is so much beauty in it as well in this episode we welcome luea ritter a process steward action researcher and co-founder of collective transitions which is an action learning and research organization dedicated to building shared capacity for fostering and maintaining transformational shifts her work weaves societal change processes trauma and healing work, leadership, and earth-based wisdom traditions to cultivate individual and collective capacities. She's developed a high sensitivity for context-based cultural and social dynamics through a diverse medley of work fields. Luea, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Camille, for the invitation to be here. So to set the stage for this conversation, I would love for you to begin by sharing a bit about your upbringing and your multifaceted background that then guided you to co-create collective transitions. Hmm. I grew up in in Switzerland, close to the mountains, and nature had always a very special place in my life. My father was a mountain guide and we spent many, many weekends, summer, climbing up mountains and world territories and uncharted (laughs) passes. We always found these sneaky little passes with my father that were not indicated on the maps. And I think that really gave this sense of, on one hand, the deep respect of the forces of nature 
knowing that if there are avalanches, you better don't go close. If there are lots of water coming down, if there are storms announced, or even that knowing that in the mountains, weathers are so fast shifting. So you always need to be aware of how you're actually in what are you surrounded in and in a way reading the weather patterns, reading the soil and in a way reading also the traces of what may have happened a few days or weeks ago. And I think that kind of on one humbleness of us as little human beings and compared to, to all the powerful raw elements, but as well as the knowing like there is a respectful relationship. It's not meant because it's wild, we should not go there, but there is a respectful approach and relationship that you're building to get to really know what is the land that you're walking on really made of and what is yours to do and also where you should better be respectful and caring for. <laughs> There's another learning in that, I think, that informed me strongly is that you never go into these wild territories alone. You always have friends and trusted companions with you as you are walking sometimes even with a rope over quite edgy <laughs> places and there is that sense of trust we need to work together as a whole it's not just the one who is the fastest go ups and speeds and the others who are maybe the slower because of whatever reason are just falling back no we care for each other in both directions i think that's a very strong impulse and then also from both my ancestor grandparents side the sense of actually being stewards of a practice both of them were cheesemakers and one of my grandparents were also farmers and there's this sense of you have maybe been given a land a property or a cheesemaker factory for a village but you are stewarding it on behalf of the community. So you're in responsible relationship with the farmers who bring the milk, with the clients that come to your shop and also the factories or the, the places you would also afterwards sell the cheese to. And that sense of co-ownership and in a way making sure that what you leave behind is at least as, <laughs> as good as what you have received from the previous generation, I think has somehow we have no language for that in our culture. And I think I was deprived for a big time on seeing these patterns and being fascinated and finding them right normal, but then having no language to actually speak about it, but just in a way knowing that's actually how it makes sense. And I think that actually led me to quite a big struggle, honestly, of like, there are things we, I take for granted and it seems in the society that then also, of course, more towards the city. And so I felt like they are not maybe anymore so much practiced or remembered or acknowledged and respected. But I had no language for that. And the same, I also felt my mother is a physiotherapist. So I was from young age on, you care for the ones who are not so well. You, you take care of each other. You take care of your body. So a healthy relationship with creating the precondition of well-being and then seeing also that some of the practices that I was introduced are not as common as are not as normal that we also go <laughs> and learn from nature through homeopathy or things like that to heal our systems if they're off balance and so I think that led me on both of these tracks to this kind of understanding first of all what are the languages and how do we name these things and also acknowledging the world is so much more complex <laughs> than, than we can ever grasp through sectorial approaches or uh, siloed solution building. Another important track is, is the deep sense I had from a very young age on to live in community. So sometimes the very nucleus family was for me too small and I was longing for another form of cohabiting land. And so I was searching a lot in eco-villages and intentional communities and other ways and of alternative forms of living. And also found quite a few that were on one hand very inspiring and also on the other hand feeling like they're still also struggling with similar patterns underneath of domination, top-down, power games, etc., which is normal which by now I know this is just part of life. But I was always fascinated. Then what is underneath? Why do we 
pretend we live an alternative life, but what are the structures underneath that actually led to patriarchy, capitalism, our disconnect from nature, our disconnect from even ourselves in first place? And so that led me uh, now quite a few years to this question. Yes, I can go through a transformational process. Yes, I can work on my own healing. Yes, I can be in healthy relationship with others. But it doesn't add up if just everyone does his own transformational process and then we would be all transformed and have done the big transition together. But there are other muscles, collective transitions, muscles <laughs> that we need to sharpen, that we need to activate, reactivate. Actually, I think it's not something we have to build anew, but actually remember <laughs> from our forefathers and surely also the current still alive indigenous traditions that are out and there and showing us actually an example. So knowing that transitions is something much more complex, much more unknown to all of us. And there is only one way to go through it together is by having languages that we can orient each other and name what is going on and what happens and also help us create the pattern language actually of how do we go through these kind of uncertain times that we are surely now in through together from a place of not only going through it but actually maybe acknowledging maybe that's actually what we are meant to embrace that complexity and the beauty also of course in that and the healing power to recreate spaces that are creating preconditions for not only our own individual not only for our neighbor but also for a whole society including environment and the subtle to thrive. Wow, there's so much in what you just said. Speaking to complexity, in mm. describing the multi-layered problems that we're facing today, you've used this term uh, polycrisis, which describes a situation where there's not one single big problem, only a series of overlapping and interconnected problems. Mm. And I think understanding how you view the challenges that we're confronting today as a polycrisis, rather than, for example, the climate crisis as this one big problem and our social injustices as another big problem, I think this helps us to understand your approach at collective transitions. Mm. So could you speak more to the limitations, perhaps, of seeing our varied crises as being siloed and separate, needing perhaps people with different fields of expertise to specialize in focusing on compared to understanding all of it as a part of a poly crisis and how mm. this might shift the ways that we seek to address the problems. Mm. Mm. Thank you. So I think one, one deep understanding, and that's highly, I think, informed by my systemic constellation background, that is highly informed also by Zulu traditions, where you acknowledge that if in a system there is a a wrinkle, you could say, a conflict, a challenge, a symptom of unhealth or unbalance, that it is not just the responsibility of that one person or that one tribe or that one family that has an issue with maybe another thing, but that it is a responsibility of the whole to look at it. Also knowing that I am deeply related to that system, so therefore I also have a co-ownership, maybe not in what actually happened, but that it led to an imbalance that then after a while created these symptoms of unhealth. This is also, of course, strongly coming from alternative medicine that doesn't see having a problem with my gut as the only singular problem and I just go there, fix it, and then everything is fine. But actually knowing that's a message, <laughs> it's a messenger that wants to tell me something more that I may not be consciously, mentally able to process. So with that, I also look at the different issues that we are facing today on many different scales, like you say, on many different places, and seeing that they are, if we would draw them on a map, on an iceberg, and that's often what we use of like acknowledging that there is something is visible, these are all these symptoms <laughs> that we can get highly overwhelmed by if we want to name them all at once. But underneath, there's a whole structure. We can also use the root system of a tree that is beneath the soil that we have no idea because we can't just <laughs> go that deep. But we can only know that there are probably sources underneath that feed these roots that then 
on the top they create illnesses or so. It's nothing new for permaculturists, <laughs> etc. So in order to investigate, to even understand what healthy actions or healthy solution building processes would be meaningful, our approach is really going to and acknowledge the root causes. And a big part of systemic constellation work actually works from if all the parts of a system are acknowledged for existing within that system or have their own natural place and order, like I can never deny I have parents. I can never say I'm their parent because <laughs> they are my parents. And often in systems that are unhealthy, there's some twist that happened. And if we acknowledge that and include again the parts of a system that are belonging to it in a nation, that would mean not excluding certain tribes or certain people or denying access to a few people versus others, then the system in itself is starting to rebalance. And so if I would just look at one health, uh, one crisis in itself as one slide, I would deny that it also has an effect on another part of the larger system, but maybe showing itself in another <laughs> form or shape or tree. And that powerful and also intense <laughs> and sometimes highly challenging inquiry process almost to like what, what actually happened that it led us to this situation is of course diving into millennia of to a certain extent, trauma-informed patterns as well. I find that highly fascinating, not only because it is fascinating, but also because I honestly don't see another way by just being with even what is and daring to ask us these very highly uncomfortable questions. And in that, finding a capacity to actually strengthen the, the facing of what is even that that we are with today? So, yeah, I think that's as far as I can go for now. <laughs> yeah, this is all very affirming. I do feel like people oftentimes have a tendency to want to simplify complex issues in mm. order to try to make sense of them and so that we can come up with a simple fix. So in terms of the climate crisis, people talk about, you know, CO2 levels, and that's what people largely fixate on. But I think we really do have to unpack and sit with the complexity and the nuance of everything mm -hmm. if we truly want to address the poly crisis that we're facing today. And Collective Transitions focuses on supporting the collective capacities that are needed for shifting mindsets, beliefs, and deeply ingrained patterns. And this applies at all levels, as you mentioned, from families to organizations to our cultures and also humanity at large. And your work is really grounded in four spheres of work, restoring relationships, healing history, developing collective capacities for navigating complexity, and also creating spaces for cross-sector collaboration and learning. And this mm -hmm. is a very specific framework. So I wonder if you can share the story of how it came to be, and particularly mm -hmm. the emphasis on reconnecting with nature and place. Yeah, so the story of the four spheres is basically, I have worked in different sectors all around how to, how to create... <laughs> a better world, basically, being it through the energy sector, the community building sector, the art sector, the healing sector, etc. And what I have found fascinating again and again is that similar patterns and similar blockages started to hit the team, the initiative, the projects, the organizations. And I became curious of seeing these patterns over, of course, several years and longer time. So in the beginning, it was not so obvious. But then actually, it kind of started to dawn also in a lot of conversations with other people that there are many people who focus on how we can heal our connection to land and place, how we can actually perceive ourselves again as as one species, I mean, not one species, but connected with it and not being separated, not that ecological divide, us as humans and then nature. And often we have this tendency to put us on top of it, but actually seeing the, the commonalities and us seeing as, as nature. There are a lot of people who work around collective healing, looking at the patterns that led to where we are today, 
there are a lot of people working on complexity and how we navigate the space between and how what kind of capacities can be built and how do we deal with system thinking, etc., etc. And there are a lot of people focusing on creating spaces for collaboration, focusing on co-creation even, and how can we strengthen each other through mutual support. What I found fascinating, because I kind of felt that I moved between different fields like that and connected to different networks across the globe, that these one never come together. <laughs> and they all bring a specific, unique gift. It's not to say that one is more important than the other, but I was like, why do we not join that? Because they're all so important. We can't create solutions if we don't understand where we come from and do not have, to a certain extent, created at least an, an acknowledgement of what happened before that led to the, to the now. We cannot move if we do still pretend we are something else than nature. We can't create a new paradigm if we are still highly rooted in that sense of we are on top of the chain and we can exploit and, and design whatever we want. We cannot create healthy solutions if we don't start loving complexity and embrace the not knowing as a, as a truly lived experience that's sometimes not comfortable, but there is so much beauty in it as well. And we also don't get there if we don't join forces and actually go beyond collaboration just for your sake and my sake, but actually learning how to be in a space of true co-creation, not only with us as humans, but with all forces of life that are present in, within a situation or a context. And so that was kind of that what sprouted this four spheres approach of like, they actually need to be tended within a project or an initiative or a movement that wants to really truly being dedicated to one or the other form of societal change. They need to be, I wouldn't say maybe in parallel, but they need to be tended to along the way. And so when you ask my, uh, me regarding specifically the element around land and place, for me, this is probably also rooted in, in my experience with trauma therapy is most traumas, at least so far, and that may also change or has already changed with the whole global climate crisis, are human-affected trauma on other humans. And so if I have a deep wounding and pain, I don't want to only say trauma because sometimes <laughs> I don't need a trauma dynamic in me that I can still feel it that is inflicted upon me or I experienced it from a human to me I may not trust the human sphere as much I had the chance to grow up closely to nature and for me it's always a given that there were moments in my life where I really struggled of how to be human how to relate to other human beings and trees <laughs> and stones and forests were my my get to go, my friends, my family that held me to go through actually to these waves of like, what does it even mean to be a human being in all these rather to, to a certain extent disrupted societies that I got born into. And so for me, it was normal that I had, I knew how to relate to nature. I knew how to relate to something that is not only human. And so it dawned on me when I started to work with with people and, and got to know people that did not have this strong connection because of having maybe lived in the city and never had been strengthened in that connection or not getting supported to create that connection, whatever reason, that there were sometimes less resources available to actually deal with the shock that came to them that was more inflicted from other humans. And so that was also the realization if in order to start a healthy ground that feels like I have resources under my feet, the land, the connection to land. And with that, I'm also talking to, you know, to people who maybe come from people who had migrated out of their own wish or forced 
sometimes uprooting yourself and then finding new roots or coming from families from two different backgrounds and you belong there and there may actually create a whole other system of how am I relating to land and where is my place of belonging. Then for me, I come from the place my forefathers have been living on. So I'm like, this is it. This is my ground. And that's no, nobody will ever be able to question that. So that is rooted. That is grounded. But even it shakes on top on like, how, how am I growing up? And how am I a human being on this planet? May shake, but there I have a strong foundation. And so that was also for me through my own personal journey and then meeting people, realizing work, how, how crucial that is to know like I can rely on nature to be at my back, to be under my feet, to hold me, even all the rest seems to fall apart. And you mentioned trauma earlier. I think a lot of times trauma therapy largely focuses on healing at the individual level. So I wonder how do we even tap into our collective consciousness of a sort of collective trauma that we made hold but not even be aware that we're holding? And because you know, work at the individual and collective levels might look different, what might healing the past at a collective humanity level look like? Hmm. So first of all, this is a long process. <laughs> this is inviting the, the multi-generation approach big time. Like the, I like the approach that natives have of the seven generations, for example. Because if there are layers of trauma-informed patterns that are centuries and even plus <laughs> old, I do not want to create a stress in my system that I and a few of us can heal <laughs> that in just a few years. I think a big part that I'm seeing in the work that I and many others are doing, like I feel like what is so beautiful at this moment, it's these old things become so visible and people are working on it and things get named and chewed upon and brooded through and fermented and digested in many different ways and we need many different practices there i would say there's not one approach or that approach that would lead us to but i think it it starts with the individual of daily in a way setting an intention why am i showing even up and then of course it's also that shared intention in smaller or bigger groups of how can we, with our action, being it a project, being an initiative, create in a way a sane island or an island of sanity, as Margaret Whitley also names it, where in a way our embodied experience as individuals and as group through an experience that feels different than before actually kind of shifts the DNA literally in our, or the cellular memory, let's say, in our body where we can start to feel like, oh, we don't anymore have to be afraid of X, Y, Z, or we don't anymore have to doubt something, or we can actually start to speak freely in a way that we are heard and understood and welcomed. So for me, there, I mean, we could go now in detail of all these different practices. Systemic Constellation has for me there one of the offerings in terms of it listens to the field, we say, the knowing field of what it needs at this very moment versus what I think or what we think together is the best solution to go. And often just by even naming that what has happened and just by acknowledging that it has happened and bring it into our shared awareness and consciousness often releases, in my experience, some of that tension, some of that maybe even to a certain extent anger and releases some of these energies we have used to in a way pretend it's not there or deny it happened or diminish what happened and just yeah expand our capacity to to be with what is and hold that for a for a moment at least so i don't have expectation that we will heal everything but that we can create pockets after pockets where we can feel we have created a new experience for our system to feel how it could feel 
different than may how we may have grown up or be conditioned in. Been such a long time I've been living like this Ooh, broken down And you come around and disturb me with your kiss Like something's found But I used to believe in love And it made me bold and tender In a piece that you wrote about the core assumptions that underlie Collective Transition's mission, you said using our minds only has failed us. It is time to activate and combine our many ways of knowing, end quote. Mm -hmm. And my inkling is that a lot of people listening to this conversation might feel it to be a little distant or abstract. And if so, it might be because we're so trained to really primarily utilize our minds to make sense of the physical world. So perhaps touching upon what you call systems sensing, how would you expand upon the many ways of knowing that a lot of us have lost touch with, especially as they relate to our poly crisis? So first of all, I would say we all have them still. It's not that we got cut off from them, but we may have not had the chance to train them as much or get stimulated to find them interesting or maybe have forgotten how to use them. And most of it, I think we actually still use them, but we don't know that we use them. And one of them is, for example, we could call it intuition or a knowing that, oh, that sounds dangerous or that sounds, mm, I'm not sure, or wow, this is really fantastic. I need to absolutely go there. These are these are things that we don't sometimes process first through the mental, but actually our body almost responds naturally to it. Or when we get goosebumps or when something in our body is like, ooh, uh, making like that. These are natural responses to what our body picks up as a sensory organ, basically. When we talk about the many ways of knowing some of them is really like our body actually knows if we dare to listen to it and that means of course slowing down a little bit in a fast-paced society it's sometimes really hard to give space to these more silent voices that actually know what's best <laughs> but that we may override through the speed and also the expectation of being performing and being competitive or whatever so that's one thing. And then there is also this other way of knowing, the relational know knowing, we know, have we called that, where I just feel, oh, wow, this is a wonderful person, or ah, I feel warmth in your, in your proximity, or mm, this person, I'm not so sure, not from a judging place, of course, <laughs> so please don't get me wrong, but like just feeling, oh, I need a bit more space here. And that's also... I don't know how you do that, but when I, for example, walk through these days, not busy train stations or, or places where a lot of people pre-corona would have met, I'm navigating. I'm like not just going like that, but I'm like, oh, okay, how do I go through these quite a lot of masses of people? And I may pick up a lot and feel like, oh, this environment drains me more than if I'm in the forest. That's another way of how actually my system knows <laughs> where to charge and where to where I may get not so much resourced by. And a big part of that is just even paying attention to these signals. That's the first thing that in a way needs to happen. Oh, I'm holding my breath. Why do I hold my breath? Ah, I feel maybe a bit insecure. Oh, <laughs> that's good to notice. And then, of course, the more and more we can also use it to better navigate complexity that I know oh, if I'm coming in this room, <laughs> this room has this and this effect on me. Or if I go in this, this meeting, I maybe feel more secure if I take a few deep breaths before and really consciously prepare myself for meeting someone I feel sometimes a little bit stressed by. These are ways of knowing that inform me of how do I navigate, how do I make choices, how do I show up in a way that 
it serves me and I'm, I'm centered. But of course, if I'm more centered, <laughs> I also radiate more centeredness into, you know, my family or my workspace. So this is where I, I would actually suggest to start with. And then, of course, the more and more you can use that in system sensing approaches, which means you're not only thinking systems and trying to analyze and trying to understand more factually the relationship between each element and the dynamics, but also you allow actually to use your whole system, your whole body as a sensing organ, as an instrument to actually step into that system to feel how it must feel from the inside out, which is from our point of view, uh, I would say complementary approach to the very important <laughs> system thinking approach and the mental capacity. So it's not to say that we should forget our mental capacities. No, no, no. It's just to say if they're part of a circle of different ways of knowing, they can actually do a fantastic job without pretending they all have to cover and give us the solution going forward. There's a beautiful quote you shared by Donella Meadows, which reads, we can't control systems or figure them out, but we can dance with them, mm. end quote. So it really speaks to everything that you just mentioned. And something I'm thinking about is what systems sensing looks like in the context of our current dominant capitalistic system that we've seemingly locked our modern society into. Because I wonder if it matters what our values and worldviews are before we get into this work. So for example, what if people ground their realities in this socially constructed system of endless economic growth instead of in the reality of our living systems? And so their system sensing might summon them to keep supporting the growth of this extractive system because that's what the system is calling for. But ultimately, this is something that works against the living system that we're living in. Hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. Because I don't, I don't believe in these <laughs> worldviews. Or so, if some of your listeners would feel they belong to that, I would love to have a conversation. But in my understanding, if you start to use your other ways of knowing, and and of course doing that also together with others, ideally, and you start to sense more of how a system feels, that includes our own body first, of course. I would actually start to probably shift my worldview and start to understand that expansive growth on the cost of life and living beings, being them human or nature, is not the only way of growth, but that there is another way of growth that is very in tune with the whole system, that is acknowledging the regenerative forces that are active out there. So I actually wonder if system sensing, if you really would truly start to open up into, would actually start to giving clues of like, ah, <laughs> but wait a second, that doesn't anymore work <laughs> in my, you know, framed mindset and belief system. It's a question, but I, I have no answer to it. But just, yeah, curious. It's a, it's a good yeah. question. I will come <laughs> on. Yeah. And I mean, certainly as people keep supporting this sort of endless economic growth, I think it, it's quite a dehumanizing system in what it calls for people to do and how it exploits labor. So I think as we start to be more in tune with our different ways of knowing, we might also personally sense that this system itself is not compatible with life. And so yeah. it could be very grounding when people really get into this work. And so much of what we just discussed, tapping into our many ways of knowing, it feels like they require us to quiet our minds and to slow down. But in times of crises, like confronting the climate crisis, a lot of people's reactions are to shift into emergency mode and our minds might become uh, loud and cluttered as we're trying to scramble, scramble to try to figure out, you know, what can we do to address these issues as soon as possible? So as you focus on the how of everything, 
What can you tell us in terms of the patterns of this type of reactive response and whether it's even compatible with the new patterns of regenerative solutions that we wish to co-create? Yes, indeed, this, this approach needs another pace because in order to pick up all these different signals and making sense of them, so not only for myself, but also in a collective sense-making process, it sometimes can look to our Western mind as a huge slowdown and become less efficient and less fast and less reacting in the moment. But I know (laughs) that if you don't create healthy social fabrics inside me with my team, with the people I'm working with, and I'm cultivating trust, I'm cultivating connection, I'm cultivating helping each other, being there for each other, understanding across divides, talking with people who have another opinion than me, creating trans or cross-sector connection at least or or deep relationships we can't (laughs) in my opinion reach and hold the intensities that we are living with today if i look at my friends in africa I've, i've worked and i'm working there they have a lot of hardship and a lot of challenges since a long time. <laughs> we are getting now caught up in the West with ours. There's one fascinating thing that each time <laughs> touches me and brings up tears is that ability to keep dancing and laughing, celebrating together, knowing I have my family that is not just my blood family, but calling people of my village, my uncles, my brothers, my sisters, and being at each other's back, being there for each other, and knowing how to sustain these relationships amidst many challenges. I don't want to romanticize that, and I know also that there is a lot of fractures there as well. But if I compare it from where I come from, this support is not existing or is no longer existing in that powerful support uh, as I've witnessed it there. It is regained and often what I find beautiful is when we go through really intense crises, then it comes up to the surface again. So earthquakes or these natural disasters or big kind of more collective crises often and Many people like Rebecca Solnit and so wrote about that, actually reactivate that innate knowing, hey, we can only do that together when we hold each other, when we support each other, when we are at each other's back. The last thing I wanted to ask you is in looking ahead, you say that we are the ancestors of the future and that we may not be able to see all the collective transformations that we wish to see in our lifetimes, but we can certainly lay the groundwork and precondition for uh, new patterns for the future. And somehow this mindset shift is really relieving, you know, just Mm -hmm. recognizing that we are but one small part, though a very important part of our Mm -hmm. collective transformation and transition. And so on this note, can you share a project you've been working on where you know you probably won't see the end goal of healing and regeneration reached in your lifetime? And then to close us off, any cause to action or final things you wanted to share with our listeners? I think all the projects that I'm working on, surely since a few years now, have these quality of being for the long term and not me being attached of having the success or being the one that then kind of gets the laurel, the bay leaf uh, crown. <laughs> but that what is, when you ask this question, comes up most is the Nile journey. So that's a, a platform for transdisciplinary, translocal, transboundary collaboration in the Nile Basin. So the 11 countries of the Nile from north to south and south to north. A region that is highly under pressure through climate crisis, through climate impact, through the whole question around water shares and 
geopolitical then dynamics that are highly rooted in colonial patterns and a lot of disconnect on many different levels and then politics that are interfering and media that are sharing stories of these are the bad ones and that are the good ones and they're our friends and they're our enemies. And so we founded a few years ago a platform for actually the civil society. So people who are at the ground doing fantastic work and are connected to the Nile as a living being and seeing themselves as part of that biosphere that spans these 11 countries and is highly crucial for the whole continent to actually have a place where then even just can start meeting and meeting each other in a way that I can get to know you, that I can get to know actually your story and not the story that my country tells, tells me about you, where we can emphasize and strengthen each other and where we create through a culture of dialogue, a culture of regeneration, a form of collaboration that strengthens not only the individual communities, we call them community hubs, but also the personal connections across these boundaries. And so this work is just really at the moment, a lot of beautiful things are happening right as we speak. That sense of people starting to see that I'm part of a larger whole. I'm not just belonging to my tribe or my nation state, but I'm belonging to that biosphere body and my work as a farmer or as a coffee roaster or as an artist is as much as important as the others and creating that kind of joint fabric of a culture of peace we call it <laughs> that hopefully gives some antidote to all the upheavals that are uh, happening on many different topics and literally all these polycrises. And so that's for me, when we set out <laughs> a few years ago um, with my friends from, from this continent, it was clear this is like a 50, 100-year vision. This is not something where we will take the fruits from. But we can help start this seed of like, hey, we are much more than just one country fighting over the right of water with another country. Not to go into that political discourse, but say, hey, there is another form of how we can connect and actually learn again that we have shared stories, literally shared songs, shared cultures, shared traditions, and, and get to know them again and creating a narrative that goes beyond that narrative of separation, basically. And my call to action... If it's in a nutshell, I think is that that wish that we all can be curious each and every day in that what we do not know yet, that what we do not understand yet, that we maybe even fear and dare to go to these places together, <laughs> not only alone, and open up into, into the unknown and find courage in doing so and also fulfillment. I am With the dark there was nothing to trust In the face of desire So will you come along now Prove me wrong now Give me something fight for yeah. Come along now Prove me wrong now Turn on the What is an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? Mm. So the social media account that I follow is The On Being by Krista Tippett, which is for me really a well of nourishment and inspiration and a space where I feel that that transdisciplinary approach and intersectionality is really practiced and invited to be practiced. What do you tell yourself to stay motivated and inspired? Hmm. What I tell myself is 
after always again and again daring to delve through my own valleys <laughs> and darker moments, knowing that I will learn a lot when I go through them. And the, the movement of reconnecting to the natural sphere, no matter where I am, even in the city. And what makes you most hopeful for our world at the moment? Knowing that the veils have dropped and that we are learning how to be with what is and learning how to stay in the questions versus rushing to fast answers. And there I'm highly inspired also by what Rilke said many, many years ago with his uh, beautiful letter to the young poet, ending with, perhaps you will then gradually, when you stay in the question, without noticing it, living alongside some distant day into the answer. Hmm. Thank you so much. We are wrapping up, but Green Dreamer, if you want to learn more and stay updated on Luea's work at Collective Transitions, you can head to www.collectivetransitions.com and you can also follow them on Instagram at collective underscore transitions and on Medium at collective dash transitions. Luea, thank you so much for joining me on the mm. show today. Um, really loved this conversation, so I appreciate you so much. What mm. final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Please let your roots grow in all directions <laughs> and nourish and be nourished by each other. This episode was brought to you by our community and listener patrons. To support this independent media platform, you can head to patreon.com slash green dreamer. The song featured in this episode is Prove Me Wrong by Luna Beck. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell. Our production management intern is Spencer Carter. And I'm your host, Kamea Shane. I'm deeply grateful to have you here for your ongoing support. And I will catch you soon in the next episode. <laughs>